The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Yeah, yeah. Hey, come on, anybody grateful for the rain today? It rained! Now, we are an odd people because on one hand, for eight months, we go, is it ever going to be sunny again? And then two months of sun, we're like, is it ever going to rain? So anyway, welcome to Washington. Um, on August, what is it, 13th today? 12th? Something like that? Anyway. 13th? No one wants to help me. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, anyway. Um, hey, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible with you, it's the New Testament, quite a ways through your Bible there, the book of Philippians. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit. Today is not a series. Uh, typically, we have a series. Today is a standalone message. And I'm just going to talk a little bit from my heart. Um, and um, I've been on a sabbatical. Many of you are aware of that. Some of you maybe are not. And uh, no, I was not kicked out of the church by the board um, by any stretch. Uh, no. It, they actually just say, hey, you've been doing this for eight years now, and we think it'd be healthy just for you to take a breather and enjoy yourself and, and relax a little bit and stuff. And so um, 10 weeks, I, I took a sabbatical, took a break, and, um, and I, it was um, kind of an odd thing in particular because during the sabbatical, again, I had done a lot of reading on sabbaticals, different proposals from friends of mine that have taken sabbaticals in ministry and, um, and just kind of what they are and stuff. And I felt a lot of pressure the first kind of couple of weeks in particular, I think, because I felt like, okay, God, this is my time away from the day-to-day work of ministry where I'm supposed to, like, receive a revelation from you and, and like, you to revolutionize me, transform me or whatever, um, show me all about the future of the church and give me this big vision. And I felt this pressure as I spent time reading the scriptures and spent time in prayer. God, what do you want to show me? What is this? What is this about? And um, for some of you that are waiting to hear, I'm the same guy I was 11 weeks ago. So I'm really sorry about that. And, um, but after a couple of weeks, I actually explained to my wife, I said, babe, I just feel this pressure about having a breather from the day-to-day ministry stuff of like, what does God want to do in me? And, and um, we just talked about it a bit, and I, I, of course, brought it to prayer. And really, um, about three weeks into th- this break I took, I just kind of felt like I needed to take the pressure off. You know what? I really feel this way, and this isn't to be prideful, but I hope we kind of walk this journey out. I feel like if God wants to do something in me any day, Lord, a- any time, I, mean, I just want to be surrendered to you. And, and if you want to show us as a church what kind of sort of vision you want for us, I feel like God's given us a lot of vision as we think about the future and expansion and, and you know, campus stuff like that later on down the road. Um, but if you want to change that even, Lord, then show us, show me and show the leadership team. If we're off on what we've sort of shared already about the future, then by all means, correct us any time. And it was really at that point, I kind of felt this pressure kind of go away. Like, you know what? I'm resting, and I'm going to enjoy time with my family, and I'm going to just breathe. And, and there's something about, and this isn't a complaint about my job, and I'm sure there's a lot of careers that can be like this. But for me, if you take a week's vacation or two weeks vacation, you, you kind of feel this in the back of your head, like, I'm on a break. But, you know, when I get back in a week, i got to have this meeting. i still got to deal with that or whatever. And when you have an extended break, like a sabbatical, it was nice to not have that kind of in the back of my head, and so it really became kind of this just rest and enjoy yourself and and spend time with family, and again, I did a lot of reading. I read a few different books and, of course, stayed in the scriptures and um, and, and, and had a good time, and and so um, we did take a trip to Misery, and uh, it was a good road trip. Um, I said that wrong. Sorry. If you've ever been there, I didn't say it wrong, but if you have, anyway. Um, My my mother-in-law lives in Missouri, and um, we went and we took a road trip to visit and and be at the house there and stuff. And um, 
We had a great time. We, we stopped at Arches National Park. I'm a sucker for national parks and monuments. I love that. So I love road trips. So we took a trip down. We went down through what would be Washington, Idaho, Oregon, whatever, and uh, Utah. And we stopped at Moab and Arches. And oh my word, if you haven't been there, like those arches are mind-blowing. Like they're huge and, and, and just incredible. And um, there's different pillars all over. And there's like this one area. I don't even remember what it's called, like Manhattan or something. It's all this kind of looks like giant skyscrapers, but it's natural, just rock. And it's incredible. And um, we had such a great time on the road. We did go to Mount Rushmore and uh, went to Devil's Tower. Uh, so anyway, um, had a great, great time. My favorite day during our sabbatical, honestly, I think when I was looking back, was actually the day that, that we went to a water park in Missouri. We went to a place, if you're, again, if you've been Silver Dollar City in Branson, and it's kind of like Frontierland in Disneyland, but the whole park is like Western theme. And so, of course, if you don't have one of these, you have to get one. Those old-timey photos of your family, you know what I'm talking about, where you dress like you're from the 1800s? So we got one of those, and like my six-year-old is holding a pistol, and that's all weird. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> but... Uh, but we went to a water park, and oh my word, my kids at a water park are at a great age. We have a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 14-year-old. And man, they love, like, let's go here, let's go there. And there's some that, like, you get into this, this compartment, and the floor drops out, and you're just, you don't know when it's going to happen. You're just sitting there like, oh, God, am I going to live? You know, and uh, all of a sudden, it, and you're, like, flushed kind of. Anyway, so, but... um. <laughs> It was amazing. And then another one that, that my youngest kids loved. I think Hudson was too young, but Stella and Jack were loving it. It was this one where you, you, you lay back and it like goes straight down for like I don't, four stories. Terrifying. I'm, you ever watch those videos where somebody goes on a water side and they like fly out of it? I'm like, I'm dead. This is it. This is it for me. Anyway, so I'm laying there like, why did I do this? And so I go down and it's straight down. There, yeah, there's water. But it hits you so hard on your way down, it feels like you're getting, like, surgery on your back or something. Like, ow, ow, ow. And then you get to the bottom, and you're like, okay, that's over, good. And then my, my kids are like, let's do it again. I'm like, let's not. And we did. And so, because I'm a good dad, we did it again. Um, but uh, but we, we had a, a great time, and it was, it was awesome to, to sort of unwind. And, and like I said, there was a lot of pressure. At one point, um, I had a, a stack of books I had planned to read, and I did. I read all of them, but, but half of one that I'm finishing, but there's so much to learn about, and again, some of the books, a book called Innovators, talks about Steve Jobs and the other guys, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, is one I'm finishing, I started it a while back and kind of put it on hold, um, a book called The Pastor, um, a book on prayer, that's the one I'm finishing right now, and of course, um, TV, I love watching like History Channel, The Learning Channel, Nat Geo, um, all these different, even, even HGTV, I love HGTV, I don't know about you, I love it. I think it's so fun to watch. I just came across this one show that I'll tell you about um, the last couple of weeks. It's called Island Hunters. Have you seen House Hunters? Where they're like, well, we're going to shop for a house. I'm like, oh, that's great. What's your budget? Oh, you know, $300,000. Okay, cool. These people are island hunters. They're sitting down with a broker, and they're like, so tell us what your budget is like. Well, you know, like probably somewhere between eight and ten million. <laughs> like, what world do you live in? Seriously, they take, you know, take a jet to go find an island they want to live on. They're, they're going to buy an island. And so you're saying this whole episode, I've watched a few of them, and they're like, well, we really like that island, and the little cove there's amazing, but we probably wouldn't, couldn't get our yacht into the marina. <laughs> like of all the problems in the world, you know? 
but you got to, I, mean, I couldn't believe Island Hunter. Anyway, but um, about halfway through the sabbatical, um, something, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, and I want to share this with you today in particular because I, I really believe it's worth sharing. And I wanted to just share a little bit of my experience for 10 weeks and, and how I believe that, that, you know, God is working in me. And so Philippians 3 was really the anchor to what's been in my heart here for the past probably seven or eight weeks now. And it starts in, in, in chapter 3, um, verse 7. But whatever was for my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's a couple other verses that if we get to it today, I'll read those and we'll walk through those a little bit, but I'm going to pray. Father, today I pray for, for your, your spirit in all of us, God, whether people are kind of visiting for the first time or the last few weeks or we've been around, that God, you would work in every single one of us and that our confession Similar to Paul here as he kind of ends this portion of the conversation, not that we've arrived. That, we, that every one of us in this room, we haven't arrived. There's a work you're continuing to do, and my prayer is that we would understand the anchor to what Paul is saying that we can press on. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Paul, and again, this is the book of Philippians. It's, it's, it's a letter that he wrote to a church um, in Philippi. And so Philippians chapter 3, the overall theme of the book is joy, and yet he writes it from prison. He's writing a letter to a church from prison talking about the joy of the Lord. And in chapter 3, as you get to verse 7, he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And for, for Paul and for us, at the core, if you're a follower of Christ, if you would call yourself a Christian, at the core of who we are is no longer what we've accomplished. Our identity as followers of Christ is no longer whatever accolades that we've amassed in our lives. And so when, when you look at, um, for the person that, that's, you know, apart from Christ or without Christ or doesn't yet know Jesus or however you want to word that, what they have to hang their hat on is what they've done, is who they've become or is how much they have I'm strong, or I'm famous, or I'm good looking, or I'm successful, or I own a yacht, or a mansion, or a classic car, a bunch of toys. I have a trophy wife. I was a professional athlete. I wrote a book. As pastors, we do memorial services and funeral services for, for all kinds of different backgrounds and situations, and sometimes we're called upon to do the memorial for individuals that weren't familiar with church or Christianity, and the feel, listen to me very carefully, the feel is always very, very different. And I don't say this in a judgmental way, but when people come up to share about a family member that wasn't a quote-unquote church person or however you want to word it, 
You hear all about how nice they were or how good of a parent they were or, you know, what they were able to accomplish or the name that they made for themselves or the memory of an award that they won. They were kind. And those things are fine. Listen, those things are fine in their right place. Absolutely. But Paul offers an epiphany. This is, again, I I don't want to downplay this at all. Paul offers this as an epiphany. If you go back in Philippians 3 to the previous verses, he says this, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul isn't doing this to brag. Paul is simply trying to explain something that it might be difficult for you and me to understand. Because what he lists here, we go, what? Because here's his list. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, verse 4, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, in, in, uh, in regard to zeal persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And you read that and go, I'm not sure what he's even saying there. I mean, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, okay? But what he's saying is for, for the people he was writing to, the people that understood the culture of his day and what it meant to be in the in crowd, Paul says, I was the kind of child growing up that was so zealous for God that I would have been the talk of the neighborhood. Like, I want you to be more like Saul. I want you to be more like Paul. I want you to be more like him. For, for the other kids around. And he, he talks about his pedigree in becoming a religious leader, a Pharisee. He talks about the, 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 the you know, being of the tribe of Israel, the, the tribe of Benjamin, the people of Israel. Legalistic righteousness, faultless. People in the nation of Israel, for you and I to understand this, would have marveled at all that Paul was able to accomplish by his drive, his passion, and his pedigree. And yet his very next phrase is this, but, what, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. For me, there's maybe not a ton of bragging rights. Hey, I have a degree in ministry. I have a couple of trophies from Little League for playing, not for winning anything. I lettered in diving twice in high school. Don't picture me that way, okay? Okay. I've served on boards and spoken at conferences and and written articles, and one day I even modeled Calvin Klein by accident. I'm a lead pastor, but I've also been locked in a locker twice in sixth grade. I've been held up at gunpoint in New Orleans. I've been kicked off my high school tennis team twice. You're like, tennis and diving? Anyway, okay, let's keep going. I've been punched so hard I was unconscious on the side of the road. I wasn't an adult, anyway, so. I've had my driving privileges revoked on a missions trip, was, which was wildly embarrassing, and I've been a terrible example of Christ behind the wheel of a car. Far more recently than I would ever like to admit. <laughs> See, on the good side, Paul can say on the good side, what were gains to me. So on the good side, I became a doctor, or somebody says, I became a famous person, or a, a school principal, or a Nobel Prize winner, or wealthier. Influ- I became all of these things. 
But here's the other part that I want to be honest about, even though he doesn't mention it here. On the bad side, where people go, I'm not worthy to come to church. Jesus would never forgive me. I've lived as an adulterer or an adulteress. I've I've had affairs or I've been a drunk or I've abused or whatever past you have. Paul says on one hand, whatever were gains, whatever gives me some sort of clout with people. But on the other side of it, guys, here's the good news. We've got to camp out in God's grace because we've all been messes. And some of us would go, we still are. We're not just like Jesus yet, and we'll get to that. Paul says it's all worthless compared to knowing Christ. And that's been the anchor that for some reason has burned in me now for about seven weeks where it just hit me. And you go, that's nothing new. This is revolutionary to you, pastor. You need better training. This is new. Why is this new to you? But for me, there's something about the supreme priority of knowing Christ and challenging myself with that very question. God, is my supreme priority knowing you? Or is my supreme priority the things I want? And I'm over here going, I'll read the Bible because I have to or check it off or whatever it is. I'll pray because it seems like the right thing to do, but that's not really a priority. I just want to get through it so I can move on with my day with my stuff, my agenda, with what I want. Is our supreme priority knowing Christ? Because Paul says you can accomplish all kinds of things. And you notice the word he uses? I consider them garbage. Another version says rubbish. That's like the British version. It's rubbish. That's rubbish. Scottish, that's rubbish. Anyway, okay, keep going. But, but another, you know another translation actually says excrement? I consider all I've amassed excrement, and you can look that up later. I won't even define it for you. So then he, but, but he's talking about the supreme, listen, the supreme priority of knowing Christ. What does Paul mean here by knowing Christ? Is it knowing what Jesus did? Is it facts? Is it seeing in the Gospels this person who traveled around and and, and performed miracles and taught crowds and had authority and then was crucified and I know that? I would say to you that's only the very beginning. That's maybe the first few steps. That's just getting into what is this whole Jesus thing? It's understanding that sin was such a problem in the world that we live in that you and I couldn't earn our way out of it. And in God's great love for all of us, Jesus went to the cross. Died for your sins and my sins. It's why communion is such a central focus of who we are. It takes us back to what really matters when there's all these other things that try to take priority. The broken body of Jesus. The blood of Christ that was shed. That's the central focus of our faith. Paul says, I've got all these accolades. People looked up to me like crazy. I was basically, I mean, for Paul's day, he was basically a famous Israelite. And then he met Jesus. And as he, he continued to, to learn about what this faith was, he, he realized, you know what? All I've amassed is nothing. Is it possible for you and me that we can amass all kinds of things? all kinds of accolades, all kinds of promotions. We can work our way into all kinds of positions, and those things are fine. 
that's, that's great. But if that's the main focus of our lives, that's the main priority of our passion, then we're missing it. The supreme priority of our lives is knowing Christ. And it's more than just mental assent. More than just a mental exercise in understanding Jesus as you just read the Gospels. See, in, in, in this, this word know is related to this idea of intimacy. Think about that for a moment. It's knowing somebody far more than I know who they are. I know about them. I read their Wikipedia page. I saw all that they've accomplished on this website. Or I met them and heard them speak at a certain thing, and there they are, and now I know them. You don't actually know them. We're talking about knowing the way that a parent ought to know their child. The way that a husband and wife know each other. My wife and I, this month, have been married uh, 18 years. And I know her. And you know what? I know when something's off, even just to the nth, like, something's not right. And whether it's an expression or it's body language, whether it's what she says or what she doesn't say, I can tell. And, and for many of us with kids, same deal. Sometimes even more so because they're part you. They're like, oh, I remember being a kid, and uh-oh. Well, brat. Anyway, so, no. <laughs> but we know, listen, we know our kids. I don't know how you, you work as, as a parent, but for me, and, and we've got four kids, I know when something's off even just a little bit. I know what their habits are, and so when they come home from somewhere, hey, Dad, and they go up to their room and don't say anything else, wait a minute, they're more excited about something else. They don't care about me. What's going on? Or they're quiet. They don't feel right. Something's off, and you know it. And this is the idea I want to try to paint for you about you knowing Jesus. Because for you and I, as we get to know Jesus, here's what it translates to. I know what Jesus loves and what he wants me to do. And I know what Jesus doesn't like and what he doesn't want me to do. Who I ought to become and who I ought not become. Begin to know Jesus with an intimacy that becomes almost innate inside of us. Huh. That's what that is to go, man, I want to please God. And now as I walk out my days, as I live and exist at work or wherever I go, I know what pleasing Jesus would look like in this environment. John 17, 3, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ you have sent, not just mentally, but intimately. So he takes the pendulum and it swings over to, here's all that I've accomplished, and it's garbage, it's rubbish, it's excrement. He's being extreme for a reason, because now he swings the pendulum all the way over here. He says, um, I consider them rubbish, verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God by faith. And you go, well, that's like a tongue twister. He like repeats the same phrase in a different way and extends the sentence. What is he even saying? 
What he's saying is you and I are not bound to obedience, that I've got to do all of these things that the Old Testament law says. No, no, no. What we are is we are bound to Christ. But he is saying that the outflow of our faith in Christ is the production of righteousness in how we live. How many of you guys remember that the scriptures say a tree will be known by its fruit? So we don't say, I love Jesus and yet live in a way that's opposite what he has to say as we get to know him. This lifestyle, he, he doesn't approve of that. That habit, that's not healthy and good for me. This, this, this thing that I'm doing in, in my marriage is not helping it become healthy, and that's not what Jesus wants. And so when we are aware of whatever those things may be, however they may come, we go, God, I want to live in you because knowing christ i know what i ought to do and i know what i ought not to do now this is where the pendulum swings he says i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, listen, Paul, in this, this block here in his conversation, he swings all the way over to, here's all I've accomplished, and it's garbage. And now I want to swing all the way over here, and I want to know his resurrection power, and I want to know his suffering, and I want to be crucified with him, becoming like him in death to attain the resurrection from the dead. On one hand, you can say Paul is using a hyperbole. He's exaggerating on purpose to make a point, and that could be true. But he's also reminding you and me that when our supreme passion is knowing Christ, then here's the deal. You and I need to crucify our flesh. You and I need to die to ourselves. You and I are called to, even as Jesus said, take up our cross and follow him. None of us needs to physically be crucified because Jesus already took care of that. None of us needs to experience this resurrection from the dead moment because Jesus, having resurrected, takes care of that whole issue with the price he paid, with what he experienced. So Paul here is talking about this passion to know intimately Christ, that he can share in all that Jesus is, living out sacrifice, living out selflessness, living out taking up our cross daily. And then I love this, and we're going to kind of wrap this up here. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then he says it again. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead. What Paul is saying as he's writing this letter is this. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived yet. I'm writing this to you, challenging you, but I'm not just saying it to you. I'm receiving it myself. I haven't arrived, but all of us are on this journey every single day of wanting to become more like Christ. None of us have arrived. That is the beauty of the Christian experience. That, listen to me, whether you like it or not, 
none of us have arrived until we breathe our last breath and enter eternity. God is always at work, forming us into to little Christs, Christians, forming us into what he desires. But Paul reminds us, too, that the great danger, don't have the pride of, I'm better than that person. I'm much farther along than them. Paul says, don't have that pride. Be aware that you haven't attained it all. But he also reminds, and I think especially seasoned Christians, maybe you've been in the faith for a couple of decades or more, that it's real easy to look back in the rearview mirror and go, I remember when, and I recall that, and those good old, this, and, and I'm not here to downplay the history that we've experienced as, fo- as followers of Christ, but I am here to remind us that, listen, the mission is still ahead of us. Come on, are you with me? The mission is still in front of us. That we pre- Paul says, I press on towards the goal to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I move forward in him. And someday I'll get to inherit the kingdom, he says. We all get that there's a place for us, Jesus has reserved. Until then, I press towards that. I become more like Jesus by knowing him more. He reminds us to press forward. In the reading plan, we've been reading through uh, Isaiah. And Isaiah is one of those books, if, 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 if you struggle with understanding the prophetic books in the Old Testament, I get it. Okay, because it's like, what is with, like, there's always, like, fire from heaven, and this is going to be destroyed, and God's angry about this, and what is the deal? Okay, when you look at Isaiah, and again, a lot of the prophetic books can feel like this, but, but you've got to take them in their context, and some of what you read prophetically is future, okay? But some of what you read had to do with their place in time. And in Isaiah chapter 30, you get to a place where, and, and, and again, there's woes here, where, where the prophet is saying, woe to you, this nation, because that was not okay, and you're going to reap the consequences. And woe to you, because you treated Israel this way, and, and it's not good. But he also brings it to the nation of Israel, or here at Judah, again, north and south, a nation that split in two. But he says in verse 30, and so again, it doesn't sound a lot different than this whole like wrath thing from prophets. Woe to the obstinate children. This is Isaiah 30, verse 1, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans, listen to this, that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt, and here's the phrase, without consulting me, who look for Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. And then he goes on as you continue to read the chapter Verse, oops, verse 8 here. Go now. Write it on a tablet for them. Inscribe it on a scroll that the days to come, it may be an everlasting witness. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, unwilling, here's what it is, unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. And it goes on in the chapter and actually throughout the, the, the 30s in Isaiah 36, Hezekiah, and this whole thing. What it boiled down to was that the people didn't want to listen to what God said. Their supreme passion was not to know the Lord and walk in His ways. Their supreme passion was themselves. And they created alliances that God had specifically told them, don't do that. And yet they did it thinking it would be best, that they knew 
best. So what does that have to do with this message? You can see plainly, as you read, and again, a lot of the prophetic books are like this, you can see plainly that their supreme passion was no longer the Lord. And they reaped the consequences of setting his plans aside for what they desired. God today, maybe it's not eloquent, may, maybe it's, it's, I don't know, I, I, more than anything, Father, I want to express what burns in me today, just that, God, the question in my own heart is the question I hope is in all of us today. Is my supreme passion knowing Christ? And we, we, we stop and we read the scriptures, and we stop and we pray, whether we feel like we know how to pray or not, we pray. We stop and reflect on a certain verse, or we have a certain song in our heads, maybe from a Sunday gathering or a worship song on a, the radio or a playlist. That, God, there's something about this process that it starts as we gain the knowledge in our heads, but, Lord, it moves into this understanding what you would desire. And so my prayer for me, but for all of us, is, God, let our supreme passion, our number one passion, be knowing you. Be taking steps on this journey. That it's, it's, we want sometimes just this big, crazy revelation, everything to be different in a day, and even the pressure at the beginning of my sabbatical of feeling like, man, God, here's what you want, I want you to do in me and show me this and that. And instead realizing, resting in you, learning about you, knowing you, that God, you're going to take care of the details. And I pray that we would trust that process, that our supreme passion would be knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.